Welcome to Walking in Faith, a weekly podcast dedicated to examining the Bible to help lifelong seekers of the kingdom of God expand their faith and understanding by exploring God's Word. Now let's join Pastor Rob Currington as he shares this week's message. Take your Bibles and turn, if you would, to Luke chapter 5, verse 17. Believe it or not, we are in our 31st week of that, and we've made it almost uh, through chapter 5. Thank you for joining us today as we just continue through the gospel of Luke and our journey. It will probably take us longer to preach through it than it took Jesus to live through it, but that's fine. A higher need, Luke chapter 5. Let me ask you, have you ever fallen for the old bait and switch routine? You know what the bait and switch routine where you see an advertisement, a commercial, and they, they give you this great product, and they say, if you, if you come in now, and by the time you, you, know, you get here, and this is just a wonderful thing, and so you rush down there only to find out that they're out of the product, or they only just had one, and they're just no longer there. But then they say, but take a look at this thing. You know, they, it's the old bait and switch. They get you in there, and then they show you something else. You say, oh, okay. But then all of a sudden, you look at it, and you find out that that bait and switch item wound up being something better value and something that you could use more or how many of you have ever been in a place where you've done a grab bag you just pay five bucks and you get a grab bag or maybe it's an elephant elephant gift uh, party and you're like oh no and you don't know what you're going to get but all of a sudden you open up the bag and you find all these wonderful things or the elephant gift is the one thing that you would have kept and you would have enjoyed I don't know if you ever come away but We have something like that similar happening here in Luke chapter 5, verse 17. As we see a group of men bringing their disabled friends to Jesus to be healed, they get more than they expected. They get something that they were not even asking for happening. Now, in last week's narrative, we read that Jesus would often get away alone to pray and to commune with his father. Uh, This was a wonderful gift. Prayer is a wonderful gift we saw last week. It's a wonderful gift of grace that God uses to strengthen his children, to listen to their concerns, to listen to our concerns, and also to receive worship from his children. Prayer displays our humble hearts that are in total submission to his goodwill and purposes in our lives. Now, as we come to this next section in Luke's gospel, Luke chapter 5, verse 17, and as we go through these next few, the end of chapter 5 and a little bit into chapter 6, Luke is recording five conflict stories or narratives uh, between Jesus and the religious leaders. As Jesus' reputation is spreading far and wide due to his teaching and his miracle-working power, he catches the attentions of the religious leaders, the powers that be, so to speak, from the other towns of Galilee and Judea and as far away as from Jerusalem. And in our passage this week, Luke is going to give us the first conflict when Jesus heals a paralytic. So far, Jesus has healed people from various illnesses and sicknesses and diseases. He's cast out demons. He's healed a leopard. He's performed a miracle by providing fish. Remember that with the disciples. Now we're going to see is Jesus is going to forgive sins. So with that, let's look at Luke chapter 5. I hope you have your Bible. If you need a Bible, please let me know. I'd love to give one to you so you can have one as you leave today. The first part is going to be here on the monitor but then join with us in scripture. 
when Luke writes on one of those days, so he's going he's to give some generalities. These are not chronological order, but he said, hey, on one of these days, here's something that happened. This is something you need to know. On one of those days, as he was teaching, Pharisees and teachers of the laws were sitting there uh, who had come from every village of Galilee and Judea and from Jerusalem. And the power of the Lord was with them to heal. You may want to underline that highlight if you do that in your Bible. In verse 18, and when behold, some men were bringing on a bed a man who was paralyzed and they were seeking to bring him in and lay him before Jesus. But finding no way to bring him in because of the crowd, they went up on the roof and they let him down with his bed through the tiles into the mist before Jesus. So Father, here again is a story that seems odd to us, very foreign to us in our time 2,000 years ago. But Father, I pray as we come, as we take some moments, we take this next 25 to 35 minutes to consider your word. Lord, I pray that you open up our minds and hearts to receive what you have. And to look at this man who we know nothing much about. Lord, how does it affect us today? What, what do we see here, Lord, that's a promise, that's a word of encouragement, that's a command to follow? Father, let us speak words that are edifying, that build up. Let us know the difference between your truth and just my mere opinion. And Lord, I pray that all that we do, whether it's our reading, our listening, our responding, may glorify you. We praise in Christ's name. Amen. As Jesus continues to minister in the region of Galilee, he finds himself under the microscope. The religious leader's curiosity has been piqued. And they have been dispatched to observe Jesus as he teaches and he ministers in the towns and villages of northern Galilee. Luke is writing to give certainty to his readers about the identity and the power and the ministry of Jesus. Remarks once again that the power of the Lord was with him to heal. And that's an important phrase there. Because by this statement, Luke is pointing out that the very presence of Yahweh was alive and active in Jesus' ministry. Now, this has been a running theme from the beginning of Luke chapter 1, is that Jesus is imbued with the, the Holy Spirit. He is active. He is presence. The, the Father is with Jesus in his ministry. You see, Jesus did nothing without the Father's leading and the Holy Spirit working. And so the power of the Lord was with him to heal. Now Jesus' teaching is interrupted here as he's teaching as he normally does. In this time, instead of a synagogue, it seems like he's in a, a home. But all of a sudden his teaching is once again interrupted by the unexpected arrival of a man being lowered down through the roof on a bed. This man is described as one who is suffering from a disability that has caused him to be paralyzed. He, he cannot move. He cannot twitch his fingers. He is paralyzed fully. We do not know if this was something that he suffered from birth or was something from a tragic accident or horrible accident. In any case, the man did have some exceptionally good friends. Hearing of Jesus' ability to heal, these men pick up their friend and they proceed to look for Jesus. Finding him, hearing that he's in a home, they go there only to find that the house is crowded and they cannot get in. Instead, of giving up and going home, <coughs> these men display some desperation and determination. They display some commitment and hope as a suddenly they see a stairway that leads up to the roof. And I had to be careful there. I almost said stairway to heaven. I just don't know why that came up, but 
It's just to the roof. It's not to heaven. In those days, the homes typically had roofs made out of dried mud and clay and tiles. Luke used tiles because mainly his Gentiles readers would have had more like tiles. So he's kind of giving them an idea of what, what to expect. And they had access by the outside stairs. And it was flat where people could do some uh, entertaining and things of that nature. And up on the roof, they begin to pull back this roofing material and they tie the bed up with some ropes that they found or had brought with them. And they begin to lower the man down through the roof. Now, this would obviously be very surprising to any of us. You can almost imagine the shock and the bewilderment as those in the rooms witness this strange event of this man coming down. But this is not even the most shocking thing that happens in this narrative. As Jesus blows all their minds with his response as he sees the man as Lord and as he's finally down on the floor. Look with me at verse 20. And when Jesus saw their faith, he said, man, your sins are forgiven you. Man, your sins are forgiven you. Again, that is a great underline it, circle it, whatever you might do, make a note of that. And this is a startling statement on at least two levels. The first one is this is not what the man or his friends were asking for. Their desire and need was for healing. He wanted to be able to walk. He wanted to move his arms. He wanted to be part of society. He was not asking for his sins to be forgiven. It's probably the farthest thing from his mind. Like the leper from the previous passage, the lame were excluded from social life and prevented from temple worship. Because they were lame, they could not be part of life. They were, they were despised. They were outcasts like the leopards. Though we do not know this man's name, we don't know his tribal uh, affiliation, how he came to be in this condition, we can surmise that life for him was very difficult. With no way to make a living through work, he was left to the kindness of his family and his friends and even to strangers. Many times those in his condition were forced to beg for their food and for sustenance, especially if they came for poor families or had fair weather friends that would not help them in this time this man was looking for relief for release for recovery from his disabilities but Jesus understood that the man suffered from a more serious disability sin alienation from God the inability to make himself right with God. He may have come with the intention to be free from his disability, from his paralyzed condition. But Jesus intended to give him something much greater. Jesus intended to give him freedom from the enslavement, not to, to limbs that did not work, and to a body that would not function. But he came to give him freedom from the enslavement to sin and the curse of death. It wasn't that Jesus ignored this man's need for healing. It's just that Jesus recognized that the man had a higher, more immediate need. What was that need? The forgiveness of his sins. The second way that this is, is, is surprising is, is that it startled the religious leaders who were dumbfounded that Jesus would even make such a declaration. Look at verse 21. 
of Luke chapter 5. And the scribes and the Pharisees begin to question, saying, who is this who speaks blasphemies? Who can forgive sins but God alone? Now, before we think too harshly of the Pharisees, like here they go again, before we become too harshly with the religious leaders, the Pharisees and the scribes, we must first consider that they are correct in displaying skepticism. They were right to question Jesus' assertion to forgive sins. Walter Leafield, in his commentary on Luke, writes that the teachers of the law were not a religious party as you and I would think of them, but they were respected as having expert knowledge of the details of Jewish legal traditions and the Mosaic law. They would be expected to form an opinion about the correctness of Jesus' teaching, and this is what they're there to do. Is he teaching according to the traditions of Moses and the prophets and of the writings? So they are right to correct and say, who is this man? It is only God alone who can forgive. And hearing Jesus' declaration, the religious leaders are accusing Jesus of breaking the third commandment. It's found in Exodus 20. You shall not take the name of the Lord your God in vain. Now that's not necessarily speaking of taking the Lord's name in a swear word. That's in other words, that's, that's attributing to God things that are not from God. It's, it's proclaiming things in God's name that you have no right to do. He says, for the Lord will not hold him guiltless who takes his name in vain. Jesus was declaring that he could do what only God can do. So at first, these leaders are correct in their skepticism. They are correct in questioning Jesus' declaration. They were charging him with blasphemy, which was a capital offense that was punishable by stoning. Jesus was proclaiming the forgiveness of sin that is the prerogative of only God and God alone. Scripture makes this clear as you look here on the monitor with me in Psalms 130. If you, O Lord, should mark iniquities, O Lord, who can stand? That's a true statement. That should bring the fear of God into us. But with you, there is forgiveness that you may be what? Feared. Again, in Isaiah 43, I am he who blots out your transgressions for my own sake, and I will not remember your sins. This is the prerogative of God and God alone. What these men did not know or understand was that they were in the very presence of the Son of God, the second person of the Trinity. What they needed was proof of his legitimacy, of his claim, of his identity and his ministry as the Messiah, the Savior of the world, the one who comes to set free those that are held captive. Look at me at verse 22 back at Luke chapter 5. As Jesus then offers them proof. When Jesus perceived their thoughts, he answered them, why do you question in your hearts, in your hearts, excuse me. Then in verse 23, which is easier to say, your sins are forgiven you, or to say, rise and walk but that you may know that the Son of Man has authority on earth to forgive sins. He said to the man who was paralyzed, I say to you, rise, pick up your bed, and go home. 
Luke points out that Jesus knew their thoughts and questions that they were thinking and whispering among themselves. Though that's not the point of this passage, it once again demonstrates the omniscience of Jesus. He was able to understand their hearts and their thoughts. Now, this is not surprising that Jesus could perceive their thoughts. If you remember back in Luke chapter 2, Simeon, when Jesus was being, as a baby, when he was being presented on the eighth day uh, to, the, uh, to the, uh, the high priest, he declared to Mary, Behold, this child is appointed for the fall and rising of many in Israel, and for a sign that is opposed, so that thoughts from many hearts may be revealed. That's one of the things in ministries of Jesus is that his ministry, what you say about Jesus, what you think of Jesus will reveal your heart. Previously in Luke 4.23, Jesus had displayed this power of omniscience, of knowing, of being able to proceed what was truly in someone's heart when he taught at his hometown synagogue. You remember that? And he exposed the hardness of their heart towards him as they then sought to kill him. And he does so once again here. But this time Jesus puts forth a challenge that will require him, Jesus, to give proof that he has the right, the legitimacy to forgive sins, to prove his legitimacy to do only what God has the authority and power to accomplish. So in this time, he's not going to leave the question unanswered. Jesus is going to give them who he is, the proof, the legitimacy that they're asking. First, and I'm going to give you four things here. First, to prove his legitimacy, Jesus sets up a scenario that will force them to confirm his claim when he questions them, what is easier to say, your sins are forgiven or to rise up and walk? Well, this question probably took them by surprise as well, as it seems like a very easy question. Of course, anyone would answer that it's easier to say something that cannot be proven. Your sins are forgiven. How do you prove that? You know, or to say, rise up and walk. Something that would be easily proven. This is like a, the cosmic showdown between Elijah and King Ahab and the prophets of Baal. Remember our study, uh, was it last year or so? I think last summer we looked at Elijah. This is like that cosmic showdown. Let, let's have a showdown here. You build up your, your altars, you put down your sacrifice, and then let's call down the Lord and see where fire comes down. Remember the, the prophets of Baal for hours. In vain, they tried to get Baal to send down fire, but he could not. But then Elijah doubling down says, all right, now build my altar, now dig a ditch, remember? And he says, pour it, fill it with water. And then he calls upon the Father with a simple prayer. And fire comes down and consumes not only the, 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 the animal that was on there, but also it, it dried up all the water and even melt the stones that was on there. Jesus is setting up a scenario very much like that. All right, you think it's easy to say forgiveness sins? I agree with you. There's no way to check that. All right, let's put up something that let's put our money where our mouth is. Let's see if I am who I am. Jesus is going to settle the issue right here and now. Secondly, to prove his legitimacy, Jesus identifies himself as the son of man. And then he doubles down by stating that the Son of Man has authority on earth to forgive sins. Now, the title of the Son of Man, you've heard me share with this before, is used for the first time here in Luke. It's one of Jesus' favorite sayings about himself. 
turn, if you will, quick to Daniel chapter 7. In your Old Testament, near the end of the Old Testament. We'll look at just a couple of verses real quickly. In Daniel chapter 7, we'll look at verse 13. The Son of Man was one of Jesus' favorite ways of identifying himself, especially if you go to Mark's gospel and in his mission on earth. He's the Son of Man. And he points them to his real identity and his qualifications to declare that the man, uh, the, the declare that that man was forgiven of his sins. In Daniel chapter 7, verse 13, Daniel writes this. He sees a vision here. And I see in the night visions, behold, with the clouds of heaven, there came one like the Son of Man. And he came to the ancients of days. This is, this is Yahweh. This is God. And he was presented before the ancient of days. Now, according to Wikipedia, the, now here you go, Daniel, we'll look at the Bible, now we'll look at Wikipedia. We could just compare those two. But according to Wikipedia, the Hebrew expression, the son of man, appears over 107 times in the Hebrew, Hebrew Bible. 94 of those times, the majority of the time is in Ezekiel, and it's used as three main ways. One, as the form of address, Ezekiel, the son of man. Uh, the, the second one is to contrast the lowly status of humanity against the exalted glory of God, who is the son of man, that you would glorify him or that you would give him any mind in Psalms. But also as a future, as to call, as, I'm not going to be able to say it, I, I know the word and I'm not going to be able to say it now, but as the, as the future end time figure whose coming will signal the end of history and the time of God's judgment. Look at Daniel chapter 7 again, verse 14. And it was to him, the son of man, was given dominion and glory and a kingdom that all peoples, nations, and languages should what? Serve him. His dominion is an everlasting dominion which shall not pass away. And his kingdom is one that shall not be destroyed. So let's not miss this. What Jesus is saying is that I am the son of man. I am the one that Daniel foretold. I am the one who saw. He, he saw me. I was the one who was presented before God and was given all power, all dominion over all things. Jesus is the son of man, the king, the one whose kingdom will last forever. When Jesus used this term, it would have pricked their ears and they would have understood exactly what Jesus was saying and claiming. They would have understood exactly what he was saying. Jesus was taking on the persona of the anointed one of God. Thirdly, to prove his legitimacy as the son of man, he's imbued with authority. Jesus responds by saying to this paralytic, to this paralyzed man, I say to you, rise, pick up your bed, and go home. Jesus gives him three action steps to prove that he is truly healed. Rise from your bed, pick it up, and walk home. Now remember, this is a man who could not move. This is a man for, for some time whose muscles had atrophied, who, who would not respond to any mental command. This is a man who we may not, who may never have even walked before. And if he had walked before, Hadn't walked in a time. 
to get up and to start walking, carrying a bed with, with that type of, would be just unthinkable today. You can imagine today someone is in a horrible accident. They go through surgery. Or even if you were fine and you went through surgery, it takes some time to recover, does it not? But look what happens. You can almost imagine that as Jesus tells this man to rise, pick up your bed and go home, that the air went out of the room. As everyone grew quiet, sucking in a breath of air, holding it in as every eye turned to that man lying on his bed, looking to see how he would respond. Maybe they're looking for a finger to twitch. Maybe the toes to move. Maybe is there a spasm that's about to happen? Or maybe just for his face to fall as he's asking Jesus, what in the world are you asking me to do? You know I can't walk. I've come here for this. You're asking me to do something. You haven't really healed me yet. You're just commanding me to do something here. This is where that old idiom, it was so quiet that you could hear a pin drop would be appropriate. As they're looking, all eyes, towards this man. This command is spoken with authority along with directions to perform three tasks that will prove that Jesus is legitimate. It would be impossible for this man to accomplish these three tasks unless, unless Jesus had the authority and the power to heal. And in verse 25, what is it that you and I read? And immediately... He rose up before them and picked up what he had been lying on and he went home glorifying God. Do you see that word? Immediately. Fourthly, here we see that Jesus proves the legitimacy when the man's healing was immediate and complete. There was no getting up and walking uh, uh, as if he couldn't. There was no struggle to pick it up. It was not the men carrying him back home. He gets up, he picks up his bed, and he goes home glorifying God. He, he completes all three of Jesus' commands. And it seems without a hint of hesitancy, this paralyzed man immediately used his reinvigorated muscles to propel himself up the floor to pick up his bed and walk home. All the while to glorifying God. I can just imagine the high fives the quietness, maybe people now are, are clapping. Maybe they're just can't believe what they see. Talk about the faith. This man does exactly what God calls him. Talk about a mic drop, right? I mean, that would just be the end of it right then and there. In verse 26, we read that after witnessing such a marvelous sight, that amazement seized them all. And they glorified God and were filled with awe, saying, we have seen extraordinary things today. And I, and I thought, this seized them all. And they, we said. It seems as if even the religious leaders were moved by what they had seen. Now, they, 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 they could not argue with the results of Jesus' challenge. There was now no way to deny what they had just witnessed, what they had saw, what had happened. Jesus has proved that his claim to authority to forgive sin was legitimate. Now, that did not mean that they accepted his identity 
and his authority does not mean that they even worshipped him. They only realized that the presence of Yahweh, as Luke told us earlier, was among them. They may not have known what to make of it. But what we see that Jesus has that authority. Now, Luke includes this paralyzed man's plight in his healing to point out the constant conflict between Jesus and the religious leaders. We're going to look at four more as we come in the next few weeks. But he's writing this so that Luke's original readers and and throughout the last 2,000 years to us this morning is that Jesus is the Son of God. You and I can have certainty that he is the Son of God, that he is the Messiah. He is the anointed one of God. Amen. You know what? I have just recognized, just hold on for those who are watching us on Facebook. The fire department comes every time about this time. I noticed that the other week. I was actually going to ask them about, why do you guys always come anytime between quarter to 11 and quarter after 11? It just seems to happen every time. I don't know what's up on that hill, but they need some healing. But Jesus' ability to heal the man validates. It validates his declaration that he could forgive sins. If I can do this, I can do that. Not only does Jesus heal this man from his physical disabilities, he heals him completely. The man went away with both of his needs met, both physically and spiritually, both temporarily and his permanent home. His healing certifies Jesus' claim and authority. This man walked away truly healed, both physically and spiritually. Not only could he now walk and have full use of all of his limbs, not only was he delivered from his disability, he was delivered from the penalty of death and the power of sin. So what does it mean? What does it mean to you and I? What does it mean to the world that Jesus can forgive sins? Well, the religious leaders were correct. That only God, that only Yahweh himself could forgive sins. Scripture informs us that even in the Old Testament, an Old Testament prophet could only declare that God would forgive. But it's only God who could put away our sins. In 1 Samuel chapter 12, 13, we read this. It's here on the monitor. When David said to Nathan after his sin with Bathsheba, he says, I have sinned against the Lord. And let me share, let me just a side note. All of our sins are against a holy God. Yes, it may be against your spouse. It may be against your children. It may be against others. But when it comes to it, our sin is against God. So we stand in judgment against his holy law. And Nathan said to David, the Lord has also put away your sin and you shall not die. Let me share again an editorial note. That is the phrase that each and every one of us need in our lives. Have you heard that phrase yet? Have you heard God say, the Lord has put away your sins, you shall not die? Not speaking of physical death, but the spiritual death for those who are hostile towards God. God is the one who forgives sins. However, Jesus sent by God to redeem his children is authorized by God to speak or to announce this good news on God's behalf. 
Not only that, it is through Jesus' active and, and, uh, active and passive obedience that forgiveness of sins will be based on. Jesus could say this because he is going to pay the sins of this man. He pays the sins of David. He pays for the sins of God's children. We need complete healing. And I know many of you are struggling, maybe through physical disabilities, physical suffering, or mental anguish, emotional pain, financial distress. And we are all wanting some type of healing. But it's not just physical, emotional, mental, and financial healing that you and I need. The most important, the higher need is that of spiritual. You need to see that you and I have an inability. It's not about, about not being able to move or to speak as some of these men and women that Jesus encounters. It's our inability to be pleasing to God. The Bible says, for all have sinned and come short of the glory of God. It says that we are all hostile. Our minds are hostile toward God. We are rebellious. We are disobedient. There is none that do what good. None at all. There's none that seek after him. All we like sheep, scripture tells us, have gone astray. And so you and I have an inability. Like this man, you and I are paralyzed by our sin. We are enslaved by our sin. We are enslaved and under the curse of death. However, as King David sings in Psalms 103, we saw part of this verse earlier. Bless the Lord, O my soul, and all that is within me. Bless his holy name. Bless the Lord, O my soul, and forget not all his benefits. Who forgives all your iniquities. Who heals all your diseases. Who redeems your life from the pit. And who crowns you with steadfast love and mercy. <coughs> Christ is all that we need. He is all that you and I can attain. And like that first song we sung, grace alone. It is only by grace that you and I can have our sins forgiven. You see, you and I need forgiveness of sin more than healing from disability. We need spiritual health more than we need physical, mental, and emotional health. We need freedom from sin more than freedom of movement. We need friends who will lead us to Christ more than friends who will validate our feelings. We need Christ more than anything else. Would you come to Jesus? Thank you. Would you come to Jesus today for that forgiveness? Isaiah writes that the Son of Man, the suffering servant, was pierced for our transgressions. He was crushed by, for our iniquities. And upon him was the chastisement that bought us peace. And with his wounds we are healed. Let us be encouraged and strengthened by the words of Paul. They'll do the Church of Colossae when he writes, as you see here on the monitor, this is one of my favorite verses. And you who were dead in your trespasses and the uncircumcision of your flesh... God has made alive together with him, having forgiven us, what? All of our trespasses. By canceling that record of debt that stood against us with its legal demands. This he set aside, nailing it to the cross. So where does this bring you and I for today? 
How can you apply it? Well, I believe the Holy Spirit will apply it in many different ways. However many we've heard, you've heard one message, but there are many ways in which the Spirit will use it. And there's many different ways that the Spirit will call you to respond this morning. But I want to direct your thoughts and prayers at least to two simple ways. First, God seems to encourage as we read this passage and blesses. He seems to encourage and bless those that are persistent. As they begin to lower this man down to the, into the house, Jesus recognized the ingenuity and the persistence of his friend's faith. God responds to the intercession of others. Remember that. God responds to the prayers of others for others. This seems to be point of James chapter 5. If you want to turn to it, you could very quickly. James chapter 5, verse 13. James writes this, Is there anyone among you suffering? He's speaking of the church, community of believers. Let him pray. Is anyone cheerful? Let him sing praise. Is anyone among you sick? Let him call for the elders of the church and let them pray over him, anointing him with oil in the name of the Lord. James chapter 5, verse 15. He says, and the prayer of faith, the one who trusts in God, will save the one who is sick and the Lord will raise him up. And if he has committed sins, he will be forgiven. Therefore, confess your sins to one another and pray for one another that you may be healed. The prayer of a righteous person has great power as it is working. He then goes in to give you an illustration of Elijah. But God seems to encourage and bless those that are persistent in praying for others. This man was very fortunate that he had friends who were willing to pick him up and were not discouraged at the first sign of not being able to get in. But go up, they were willing, they were desperate enough, they were committed enough, they had enough hope that Jesus could do it, that they were willing to, to take matters in their own hands and take someone's roof apart. Now, I pray that they put it back together before they left. I, I hope they, they did. Maybe, maybe the man who carried his bed went home, grabbed his nails and hammer and went back and helped him. I don't know. But we need to be friends like that. We need friends like that. We need to be a community that is quick to pray for one another, to bear one another's burdens, to strengthen and encourage one another. Someone has once said that there were something like 65 one another commands in the Bible. Our community of believers, listen to me, our community of believers, as small as we are, but our community of believers is stronger when we genuinely love and care for each other. So here's my encouragement. Do not give up praying and encouraging and lift one another up. Pursue the spiritual well-being of your family, of your friends, your co-workers and neighbors. Do not give up praying for them. Bringing them to Jesus. Bringing them to the throne of God. Bringing them and hearing the gospel. That gospel that the Lord may say, your sins are forgiven. That's what we want more than any type of healing. That is the justice that you and I do not deserve, but in God's mercy, he gives us for those who come and say, I have nothing to give. It's your grace, only his grace. So God seems to encourage and bless those who are persistent. And number two, and this is my last one, I promise. I won't say in summary. Jesus knows what our real problem is. 
Jesus knows what the real problem is. If you and I look in this world, there is multiple ones, right? People are clamoring for justice. They're clamoring for peace. They're clamoring for this agenda and that agenda. And I'm going to tell you what they're looking for will not satisfy. It may give them some type of peace, shalom here on earth, maybe, if they get their way. But James tells us, why do you quarrel? Why is there vision? Because you have not. The Bible tells us that Jesus truly knows what we need. See, you're here today with a problem. You have a burden on your heart. And it's the most important thing in your life. And you're asking Jesus, heal me. But like Paul, Jesus is saying, my grace is sufficient. Now, uh, I've been telling you that Ben and I have been working through this book. Again, The Imperfect Disciple. Uh, get it, please. Read it. We are talking that phrase, my grace is sufficient. And when we look at that and we look at Matthew where he says, uh, today is enough trouble for today. God gives you enough to handle for today. You and I take that all grace is sufficient as if God has given us a band-aid or he's given us a morsel of bread when we're starving. Now, when you see that my grace is sufficient, he, what he's saying here is this is more than enough to fill you completely. You need to realize that Jesus is complete. He is all that you need. So whatever problem is going on in your life, Jesus truly knows what your real problem is. And that's the one he wants to heal, to solve you. His real problem of this man was not his inability to walk. It was not that he could not move his arms or feel, but his inability to be right with God, to please God. His physical condition was not tied to his sin. But sin was affecting his whole body, his mind, and his heart. Instead of going into therapy filled with man-centered solutions or seeking out self-motivational techniques to improve your condition, whatever it may be today, would you please do this instead? Go to Jesus. And I know that's a bumper sticker slogan, but go to Jesus. If you have a friend that's in that position, grab up his bed and carry him to Jesus. He knows what ails you. He knows your struggles. He will speak the truth into your life. Let's commit to reading scripture. Let's commit to obeying the commands of Christ. When he says, rise up, take your bed and walk. Let us do so glorifying God. When he calls us to repent to confess our sin and to walk in the ways that I've commanded. Go to the one who can forgive our sins and reconcile us to God. Would you just take a moment to pause? Let's consider what we've seen in scripture this morning. And I'd ask you just to pray as you go through this week. And would you ask the Holy Spirit to help you to respond to his call? Your sins are forgiven. Let's claim that this morning. Let's claim us this week. No accusation could stand against you. For God loves those who have shown the faith to trust him. Father, I pray that you'd give us that wisdom and that strength this morning. Father, I pray that you would uh, give us your grace. If there's any here that has not uh, given their heart to you, would you do so today? 
Would you please forgive them of their sins? Would you give them confirmation, Father, that they're one of your children? Lord, help us to live lives, Lord, that is marked by the forgiveness of sin. Let us go to you. Let us be friends. Let us, let us uh, be drawn to friends who think of us in such ways. And we thank you for your word. In your name we pray. Amen. I'm going to ask the worship team to come on up. We hope you have enjoyed this week's message. We encourage you to share it with others. If you have any questions or comments, please email us at info at orangevilla.org. Be sure and join us for next week's message by subscribing to this podcast. To learn more about our ministry, submit prayer requests, or to find ways you can help hear the gospel, visit us online at orangevilla.org. Till next time, we hope the grace and peace of God's love be ever present in your life.